place and the voices of men shouting could be heard. At the center of this vast stage was a giant polyurethane asteroid, a grotesque object whose bilious hues of green and gray made it look diseased and alien. The object was so huge that there was scant room for the men and machines to maneuver around it. For some ninety days a crew of seventy-five artisans had labored over this plastic blob, shooting some three thousand takes of men in spacesuits, crawling around and through it. On two occasions, the crew, including the director, had become ill from the mold and foul smell, and the set had to be shut down. But now there was a growing realization that the time had come to nuke the damned thing, literally, and be done with it. The actors, hot and steamy inside their helmets and spacesuits, had had enough of the set, so had Michael Bay, the temperamental young director who presided over the asteroid like a relentless tyrant, barking orders into his walkie-talkie. "'Why aren't you ready down there?' Bay demanded, aiming his remarks at a cluster of technicians preparing the detonation in the bowels of the asteroid. This was the sort of prodding normally made by the assistant director, but Bay was inclined to forego the customary channels. Slim and hawk-faced, with eyes like a bird of prey, Bay ran his own set and barked his own instructions. The technicians replied they still had to prepare a few more safeguards and would be ready shortly. Bay rolled his eyes. There were more delays to be dealt with, and he was not a patient man. This was a complex set, and it smelled awful. But at least there were real actors on hand, and they were shooting a real scene. He had spent several weeks on sound stages, working with actors who were effectively talking to themselves in front of a blue screen. In the final movie, of course, the audience would see them interacting with some morphed creature or perhaps a computer-generated spacecraft. So much of movie-making now consisted of spouting lines on empty sets and catering to the tyranny of special effects wizards. What was about to happen on the set of Armageddon was of no small import, to be sure. A nuclear device was about to be buried in the asteroid, and by blowing it up and getting blown up with it, Bruce Willis would save the world. Cameras had been positioned all over the stage to record this historic event, including one sticking out of the end of a tall Chapman crane. Just another day at Hollywood, Jerry Bruckheimer, the steely producer, shrugged. We're out here saving the world and sucking up this moldy air as our just reward. A slender man with a poker player's wary eye, Bruckheimer wore a sports jacket and a monogrammed shirt that contrasted with the combat gear of his youthful crew. Moments later there was a blast, followed by a plume of smoke. Men around the stage chattered away on their walkie-talkies, assessing the detonation with a high solemnity suggesting they had just bombed terrorist bases in the Middle East. Michael Bay looked over to me. That one was a success, which means we're going to do it again anyway, he said dryly, and proceeded to bark the order for the next take. A day on the set of Armageddon was an appropriate welcome to movie-making at the end of the century. In a quiet, insidious way, just about everything has changed over the last several years in the way movies are created, edited, and marketed. In the old days, when you wandered onto a soundstage, actors would be playing a scene for a camera with the director looking on. It was a bit like shooting a play. It doesn't happen that way anymore. On the soundstages, you are more likely to see a single actor reciting his lines against a blank background, Lines that will be reacted to by something or someone that the computer graphics mavens will conjure up. The setup that the director sees through his viewfinder may bear no relation to what the moviegoer ultimately will see. The images will be massaged, morphed, and digitally hyped until an entirely different vision emerges. 
Then that material is fed into electronic editing machines to be mixed and matched, sliced and diced so that the finished film can be propelled into theaters in record time. The auteur of the movie is as much the techie as the director. Indeed, the entire process has been so digitally accelerated that movies often find their way into theaters before the filmmakers themselves can ruminate over what they have wrought and before the studios can properly test and temper their product. And if the modus operandi is changing fast on the sound stages and in the editing rooms, the pace is even more bewildering in the arenas of marketing and distribution. A mere twenty years ago, it was common practice to open a movie in a few theaters across the country, build word of mouth, adjust advertising strategies to audience response, and then slowly expand to an ever-broader audience. Today a movie is unveiled not with a quietly orchestrated build, but with a cosmic paroxysm, a global spasm of hype involving giant marketing partners like McDonald's and profligate networks.